0: Let me transition as I uh, prepare to read from Colossians chapter two this morning. Uh, I titled this sermon "A Life of Thanksgiving." Uh, we could also maybe title it "A Roadmap to Thanksgiving" or "A Roadmap to a Thankful Heart." And that really, that that title and that idea flows from uh, an Ruf staff training, actually, a number of years ago, where we brought in. Uh, he's, a, he's actually a counselor in Jackson, a man by the name of Dr. John Cox. Some of you may know him. Some of you may have uh, received counsel from him. I have during a season. And he came and spoke to us about a number of things, marriage, uh, relationships, and other things. And one of, the, one of the things that he said during his few days with us uh, these number of years ago, uh, reflecting on the life of Jesus and kind of the emotional life of Jesus He said this, he said that the two most holy emotions, meaning those emotions which Jesus seemed to have embodied most prominently or that are spoken of most often in Scripture, the two most holy emotions are sadness and thanksgiving. Sadness and thanksgiving. Just quickly on sadness, uh, Jesus was so sad and so moved by the fallenness of the world and the effects in people's lives that He was called the man of sorrows, right, through Isaiah. Jesus was the man of sorrows. He was profoundly disturbed by the effects of sin in this world. But if you will uh, take a cursory glance back through the Gospels, you will also see that thanksgiving to His Father in heaven was constantly on Jesus' lips, constantly. He was constantly blessing the Lord, thanking the Lord for all kinds of things. And thus, John Cox said that the two most holy emotions are sadness and thanksgiving. Now, I don't have to convince you that there's been a lot to be sad about over this last uh, period of time, year plus. Um, Some of you have experienced sadness very deeply, uh, personally, in your family perhaps, and I would say as a church, through some of the turbulence uh, you've been through and even some of the recent turbulence, these things affect us. There's sadness there. Um, But what is uh, also there? sometimes if we look below the surface, sometimes we have to fight for it and seek to carve out space for it, is thanksgiving. And what I'm going to contend for this morning from this passage is that the way to thanksgiving, the way, the roadmap to a life of thanksgiving isn't something that we add on to the gospel. It is the gospel. That Jesus and who He is and what He has done for us he is the way to Thanksgiving. You don't build upon him. It's him. And we see that in Colossians chapter 2, just two verses. That's what you get to do as a guest preacher. You get to pick two verses and just pontificate. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says this this is the word of the Lord. Therefore, just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Please pray with me before we look at it. Father, I pray now, having read your word, that you would bless the preaching of it. I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come and walk down these aisles into these pews, that you would take up residence in our hearts for these next few moments as we consider your word, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we might see you, that we might be moved in love for you and love for others. Lord, even as we consider how much it is that You love us uh, through Your Son, Jesus. It's in His name we pray, amen. I have a friend who, uh, interestingly enough, is now the national coordinator for RUF, which is Presbyterian-speak for a CEO. He leads our ministry at a national level. And before he came to work for RUF for about 35 years, he uh, was in commercial real estate and construction and development and all, everything basically that touches those industries, he had his hands in it, and he was quite successful in that realm, and so he has lots of good stories to tell. Uh, One of those stories involves a project where uh, they had commenced construction, done all of the site work, they had actually poured the foundations, and the reason I'm using two hands is that the, in that particular project, there were two different buildings that were going to be built, and they would eventually be joined through some trusses across the middle, and that would be some kind of driveway or pathway to get to the back of the property, and they had poured the foundations, and they started putting up the steel uh, for the walls and the rest of the structure, and after they got that first level of steel up, before they put the trusses on to span that gap right there, they did as I'm sure they would have done along the way. They brought out their levels, their lasers to kind of make sure that everything was precise and just on point so that the rest of the structure going on top of it would work and fit and all those things. And that was a bad day for Will because as they put their levels up after that first uh, layer of steel had been erected, they recognized that the two sides were about an inch off. Now, I could have told you what I would do if it was only an inch off. Uh, We just kind of shimmy that thing up, and you keep going. Uh, Apparently, in commercial construction, you don't do that. So I asked him, and as he's kind of telling the story, it's building, and you kind of see where this is going. And then you ask the inevitable question, "So, so what did you do? He said, oh, it's easy. You had to tear the whole thing down and rip up the foundation and start over which was an easy thing to say, but a harder thing to do because that was hundreds of thousands of dollars of sunk costs at that point. Now, why? What did he say was wrong? Well, they they messed up at the foundation. The foundation was off. Therefore, everything above the foundation was going to be off. Why do I tell you that? Because it's easy, I think, in the Christian life to look up at different times. Most of us, all of us, I'm sure at some point have kind of done a quick evaluation on our life and realized, I'm off. Or maybe in relation to someone else in a relationship, we're off. Something's off. And so we go try to start diagnosing it. And with the Apostle Paul at this young, uh, with this young church in Colossae, um, he was with them and he had, he had planted this church through his missionary journeys and he's now uh, interacting with them through letter and he would visit on occasion and as he's receiving reports for, from them and interacting with them, he's realizing with them, even as they report to him, that something's off. And the things that were off in this church weren't the big, necessarily the big theological, obvious things that can go off in the Christian life. They were maybe more subtle things. They were theological in nature, but they weren't obvious. They were subtle and so, what the Apostle Paul does as he's writing this letter to them is he's, he's taking these smaller things which, which often we have to realize can be some of the most dangerous because they're so small and seemingly insignificant. And he's addressing these things and he's saying, no, no, you've got to go back to the foundation, that you never move on from Jesus. It's never Jesus plus something else to the next level. It's never Jesus… Uh, then something else. It's Jesus. And you you keep going back to the foundation, and you you anchor yourself in Him, and then you go up from there. Now, why is this relevant to us this morning? Most of our theological struggles aren't probably exactly what they were dealing with, or the struggles in life that we may have. But I would suggest they're similar in nature, and here's why. Uh, We hear things like, Jesus wants you to be happy and God will never give you more than you can handle. And those things sound great, especially Jesus wants you to be happy, because I actually think that's true at a lot of levels. Um, I would say He's maybe more committed to our holiness than our happiness, but that's a whole other story. Um, my microphone is, has a life of its own right now. Um, but that second one there, that God won't put on you more than you can bear, that is just not true. And that's not biblical. And we've probably heard it, and maybe we've, we, maybe we've said it to someone else. Uh, if you're younger in the room, you may have heard this phrase kind of float around. It says, You be you. Just go be yourself. Um, that's how God made you. Be true to yourself. And that kind of, it sounds good. It certainly feels good. It means we never have to change or, you know, no one else can tell us how to live or act. But it's, it's just not biblical. Um, but we can see it's kind of got that ring of spirituality to it. Or then there's the one that I heard from my parents growing up, God helps those who help themselves, which is, it's just an interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting phrase. Um, it's like, well, what do I do with that? Um, Paul would look at us and say, go back to Jesus. You go back to Him. You are rooted in Him, built up in Him. So throughout this letter, Paul is saying we never move on. We tear down whatever else has been built up, and we go back to the foundation. And as we do that, we will abound in thanksgiving. So there's three ways I want to see us, uh, see this develop in these passage, uh, this passage this morning. Paul says, firstly, that um, he brings us back to Christ Then he takes us down into Christ, and then he builds us up in Christ. So first one right there, we first must go back to Christ. Uh, Knowing history is very helpful. Uh, And I say that because um, as I've kind of come into adulthood and I'm starting to pay attention more to geopolitical happenings, if not just American political happenings, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. How did we get to this point where tensions run so hot, where everyone seems to be at enemy, you know, at odds with everyone else. Uh, so I, I've, I've tried in earnest to figure out what's going on. I probably should have learned this in high school uh, during history classes. But uh, I was telling Mike out in the uh, parlor earlier. I had uh, coaches for history teachers, so you know, I'm not sure we were taught a whole lot. But also didn't know that I was there to learn a whole lot. So, however that worked, I didn't really learn history. Uh, Which is unfortunate because especially um, when you consider Scripture and things of of great importance, knowing history really matters. Um, And so, it's really good to go back, it's really good to go back and to ask, how did we get here? What is the foundation? Where did this all begin? Look at verse 6 and again in verse 7. The Apostle Paul says, therefore, or just as maybe your translation would say, Therefore, just as you received Christ, and in verse 7, just as you were taught. Uh, the tense of those verbs receive and the one were taught, they are both uh, that of a completed action in the past. And the reason that matters is that Paul is saying that the way that we begin to combat the drift of your heart and of my heart and of their hearts, the way that you begin to combat the drift from Jesus to Jesus plus other things is that you go back to Christ just as you were taught, as you received Christ. There is a looking back at something that has already happened to you and in you and for you. Now, Scripture is it's full of examples which attest to the truth that there is something powerful about looking back and about recalling what has happened uh, just for one example, as the Lord was, uh, had appointed Moses and was then using Moses to lead his people out of captivity and out of slavery and bondage in Egypt into the promised land and into the wilderness and that whole scene, God was constantly looking at Moses and telling him to look back. Remember, Moses, I rescued you. My love for you and my commitment to you and your people, that's not in question here. Even as you're wandering in the wilderness and it's, it's hard to see what I'm doing, it is not because I don't love you. It's not because I'm not for you. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, He would say so often, out of the house of slavery. We go back to Christ. Just as we received Him, Paul says, back to the foundation of our faith, the Gospel. The love of Christ offered for us made made appropriate for us in His life and death and resurrection. Friends, I don't want to oversimplify it, but sometimes we need to simplify it. Jesus really is. there is There is a place there in the person of Jesus which we never really graduate from in the Christian life. And so we must continue to go back to Him as our foundation. So how do we do that? In the book of Revelation, as the Apostle John is, uh, maybe you know, has opened the book of Revelation writing letters to different churches throughout Asia Minor. He writes one to the church in Ephesus, and his big contention with them is this. He says you he rebukes them, and he says you have abandoned your first love. You've abandoned your first love, and there were things going on in that church which were flowing from that abandonment. So, think about this. As you receive Christ, those of you in here this morning, um, what was it like when Jesus first became real to you? What was it like when the gospel first began to to land in your heart, when you realized that you were in a predicament of sin, which was coming into, uh, into conflict with a righteous and holy God, Yet, He was loving, and He was doing more than just deriding you for your sin. He was offering you life through His Son, Jesus. So, what was it like when you first remembered that? Maybe, uh, maybe you were a child. Maybe you were very young. Think of, you may have to think longer uh, for what that was like. Maybe you were a youth. Maybe, um, maybe it was recently. Maybe it hadn't happened yet. But if it has, I want you to think about what was that like when the gospel first became good news to me? What, what was a relief for me? Oh, God's not going to punish me for blank. Or God really does love me in spite of all that stuff I've done. Or you know, what, what is it for you that brought relief? You know, it, the question behind that really is this. Has Christianity ever... Uh, for you, has Christianity ever moved from just an idea that exists in your mind, maybe some theological categories that you can put together? Has it ever moved from that to your heart, from just an abstract cognitive exercise to something that has dropped down into your heart which has changed the way you live, the way you think about others, the way that you interact in relationship or in your vocation or with your family? the way that you repent of sin when you see it in your heart and life. if you think about, think about like a gumball machine. You can put that coin in the gumball machine and you can look at that coin right there in that slot, but if that little crank never gets turned, you never get a gumball out of the bottom. Has the coin ever dropped from your mind to your heart? Are you ever able to hold the product of what Jesus did for you? Has it changed you? So just as you received him, your Savior who loves you and gave, him, gave himself for you, so walk in him. Again, the main point is that we don't graduate from this dependence on Christ. We go back to him all the time. And secondly, we go down into him. We go down into Christ. Again, look at verse 7. This is the idea that Paul is getting at when he says that we are rooted in Christ. Just as any plant or tree or shrub or whatever draws its nourishment, in its sustenance and its strength through its root system. Paul here is evoking this image to say it's the same thing with Christians, that we must be rooted in Christ if we're ever going to be built up into something that is healthy and bearing fruit and productive in the kingdom. About a month after Hurricane Katrina hit, some of you no doubt lived down here during that time. Others, uh, if you didn't, you, you know the event. It was a massive hurricane that came on land uh, just down in Mississippi and really wrecked New Orleans for some other reasons. Um, but my wife and I were driving actually from Nashville down to Baton Rouge. Uh, we were coming for a weekend to do some wedding planning so that we could take, some, take care of some things. And by uh, we, I mean so that <laughs> she and her mom could do things and I would nod. Uh, anyway, we were driving down from Nashville to here and About when we got to Hattiesburg and and certainly further south before we got to 1012, I mean, it was just astounding, the devastation, particularly as you'd see these fields and fields of pine trees, how many of them not only were were knocked over and just snapped in half, but really it was almost as astounding as, as to how many of them were still standing because the winds were so strong. And that Led me down a, a little rabbit hole once we were down in Baton Rouge and probably at a dress shop or a cake shop or something and I wasn't uh, being included. I see you, Sarah. Uh, I wasn't uh, involved in that process and so um, I would look. I was looking up pine trees. How do they, you know what's their strength and all this? And I learned that uh, for basically, it's a rough. It's a rough estimation, but for as tall as a pine tree is, it has a tap root that goes down equally deep into the earth. So, if your average pine tree is 70 feet, it's got a tap root that goes down 70 feet. So that, obviously, it can draw water, it can draw uh, life and nourishment through the roots, but also so that it can be strong, so that, it, so that it can withstand the winds, it can withstand whatever else may be going on in the environment. Paul says, um, that's what it means to be rooted in Christ that you can't just go be built up. You first have to go down. It's like going into a, a downtown area where there are high-rise buildings. They don't just pour a slab, a four-inch slab like you do at your house and uh, build up from there. They, they excavate, and they go down tens, if not 20, 30, 50 feet, and they sink these huge drills down into the bedrock, and then they form this rebar and these structures So that when they go to build the 90-story building, when the winds come, and they will, when the storms come, and they will, it won't be blown over. So it is with Christ. So that when the storms come, so that when the winds come, you are to be rooted in Him, Paul says. So what, what does that mean? It means that you sink your life down into Him you drill down into Him. You return to Him. You, you keep fishing in the streams and in the ponds where Jesus is swimming. You just keep going there. You find your good spot and you keep going there. The fancy word that we use is the means of grace. How are you rooted in Christ? You participate and you take advantage of the places where Jesus has said, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here. So, we meet Jesus in the Word. He has promised that He will meet us in the Word, that it will not come back void. So we read it individually, in private, with a small group. You come to worship and hear it taught. Uh, you interact with others around His Word at VBS, at RYM, and RUF, wherever Christians are to be rooted in Christ, in His Word. We're also rooted with Him in the sacraments. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, uh, as often as we, uh, as we watch it, or as often as we participate in the Lord's Supper each month here, you are fed spiritually by the Lord in that. There are things about that we don't understand to be sure. But God has said, I will strengthen you, and I will strengthen your faith in these places. And in prayer, as we come into God's presence in Jesus' name, and we bring ourselves and our concerns and our lives to Him, He nourishes up. That That is the act of being rooted in Him, because it's the act of us saying, I can't be rooted in anything else. (laughs) <laughs> I've tried. I have looked to all these things around me, and they haven't worked. And we'll talk about that more in just a second. And I would say fellowship with one another. As God's Spirit indwells us, we are being built up into His temple. And so as we are with one another, just in friendship, we will use words like fellowship because that sounds great. Just as you are friends with one another, as you are kind to one another, as you give gifts to one another, as you share burdens... And God is there with you, and we are being rooted in Christ as He is building us up together with one another. So, when do we have time to do all that? (laughs) Who's got time to do all that stuff? Uh, I'm not sure. Actually, I don't know many of you. Um, I suspect everyone has their different demands in their life. vocation, family, age, stage, whatever that may be. And so I don't know exactly. Um, I, I do always like what Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said to a group of medical students who were complaining to him that in the midst of their medical training and the, the ferocious workload that they really didn't have time to read the Bible um, and have devotions and so on. And, and he bristled to them and said this. He said, I'm a doctor. I have been where you are. You have time for what you want to do. And after a long pause, he said, I make only one exception. The mother of young children does not have time and emotional resources to do that. <laughs> um, I find that to be true. Uh, we do the things that we want to do. Now, roughly speaking, there are some days you wake up and things go crazy and you, you don't have control of your schedule but we tend to do the things that we, seem to be, that we see to be important. Before we move on to this last point, I, I don't want us to be naive about this because it's not, it's not the case that uh, if we don't sink our roots down into Jesus, then we're just not putting down roots anywhere. In fact, it's the opposite. We are all of us, every single one of us, we are all putting our roots down into something or someone. We are all sinking our hopes and dreams into some idea, some vision of the good life, some thing that we think will finally make us happy, that will finally arrive if I have this or that or whatever. Maybe uh, if you're younger and in school, maybe it's your grades. Maybe you're trying to find life by being the best student and getting recognized by your teacher or by your school and all those things. That can be a fine thing. I'm not saying the answer to that is to go make bad grades, but if you're looking to that to be your everything, then you're sinking your roots down into your grades. Or, um, or maybe for you, it's, it's how many friends you have or which kinds of friends you have, uh, where you kind of are socially in the, in the big picture. And that can be for you if you're in school and you're trying to make friends, um, but let's be honest, that can be for those of us who are older and you're always kind of measuring yourself about who's, uh, in terms of who's around you, or the parties you get invited to, or left out from, or whatever it may be. Maybe you're sinking your life down into your ideas of what safety and security is. And if you can just make your house safe enough, or just live in that neighborhood that will totally keep you safe, or just keep your kids safe, or just have enough money so that you can be safe and not have to be dependent on anyone else. Insecure. To where you don't actually have to trust anyone or anything, including God. You're sinking your roots down into something that is illusory. It will vanish. It's never meant to hold you up when the, string, uh, when the winds come. Maybe it's your, you've, you've sunk your roots down into having an organized and orderly life that if you can just tidy things up and make it to where things work a certain way and you don't have to rely on others you don't have to like fudge around the you can just make life happen maybe that's where your deepest joy comes from i'm going to look at you and say you've sunk your roots down into that and it won't last maybe it's your business success or your wealth or possessions or your vacation options maybe it's your kids and your family As wonderful as those things can be, even as we celebrate it on Father's Day, have you rooted yourself in your family? Or are you most rooted in Christ? Into what is the taproot of your heart sinking itself into? That is your functional Savior. And Paul here, and me speaking. Uh, from this passage and telling you, I'm telling you, it is the wrong thing if it's not Jesus. And the beautiful thing is you can just acknowledge that, repent of that, and turn back to Jesus and ask Him to bring you back to Him so that you might be rooted in Him and not these other things, not these lesser lovers. So, we have Christ as our foundation. We go back to Him, down into Him, and lastly, we are built up in Him. As Paul finishes this exhortation of the Colossian believers. He changes uh, or starts adopting a common metaphor that he uses throughout his other letters and writings uh, when he talks about the nature of growth and change in the Christian life. And he says that we are built up into Christ. Now, when Paul evokes this imagery and uses this metaphor of being built up, he is always, always talking about being built up together together. It's intentional communal language. And in the, in the implications of that is what he's saying is you cannot be built up in Christ by yourself. It is a community project from the very beginning to the very end. And so that means that participation in the church, membership in the church, having people in your life who get access to you, you know what I mean? Who they get to push back on you when you're talking crazy that you give them permission by your membership vows in this church or by something even more clear, hey, I need you to help me. I will have blind spots. I will go off the rails at times. I will say and do things that I shouldn't say and do, and I need you to push back on me. Are you giving anyone access to you in that way? The Christian life is not, a solita- it's not solitary confinement. It is community engagement. And so that is, uh, that is one of the reasons why th- it's why Paul talks about this. It's why Jesus was the head of the church and not just the head of a bunch of people. This is the way, as uh, Star Wars would say. Um, is there anyone in your life that knows you so well that they can just come to you and, and you know they love you, and they can honestly tell you something that might hurt in the short term, but you know when they walk away that they have told you that thing because they love you. And if there's not, I would start praying for that person. I would start praying that you would have someone like that. And that, that may be a spouse, and it may not. And so if you're unmarried, that's okay. In fact, sometimes it might be better if it's not a spouse. Um, we need people. And Paul's saying that if we're to be built up in Christ, we have to be built up with one another. And I would suggest that the, the effect of these three things, going back to Christ, down into Christ, and being built up in Christ, will produce in us a life of thanksgiving. Let me finish with this story. Uh, last fall, uh, I was in New Orleans, and I was meeting with our RUF staff down there at Tulane. And you want to talk about an interesting campus that campus. <laughs> um, on Wednesday morning of that week I was having breakfast with Ray Kanata. He's a pastor of a PCA church down there and uh, to know Ray at all is to know he's he is an eclectic man for sure. And you never when you sit down for a meeting with him, you really never know where that conversation's going, which is kind of fun and interesting. Now uh, that particular morning we sat down and uh, Ray started talking about his uh, about his dad. And um, Ray himself, I think, is maybe 50 years old now. And he was commenting and saying that he really had only gotten to know his father in the last 10 years or so of his life. So, for the first 40 years of life, he really didn't know his dad. His dad left little Raymond and his other siblings when they were young. And when, as Ray learned, when his dad left the family, um, he went and involved himself in an Indian tribe on an Indian reservation and he eventually got admittance into that into that tribe, and then he went to another tribe, so he was involved in two different tribes along the way. And in that space, he became a, a Native American shaman, so a spiritual medicinal leader thing. I don't <laughs> know everything about being a shaman, but um, interesting world, I take it. And Uh, His dad was an avid womanizer. He was married seven different times in that process, but he was also an avid writer, and he wrote wrote and published, had two books published on this subject of Native American spirituality and shamanism, shamanism. and so perhaps unsurprisingly, Ray's dad was not a Christian. Uh, In fact, he was fairly anti-Christian. And because Ray wanted to know his dad, he bought his father's books, and he read each of them 15 times. He wanted to know who his dad was. He wanted to know his dad's heart. He wanted to know who is this man that I don't know. And so, as Ray um, was talking to his dad a few years ago, he mentioned to him that he'd actually read his books, and he also, Ray mentioned that he had written a book of his own, and Ray has written a book on the basic Christian doctrines and beliefs of the Apostles' Creed, and it is called Rooted. And he didn't buy a copy for his dad or anything, he just mentioned it to his dad in passing. In passing. And his dad, uh, after they talked that time, his dad went out and bought the book, and he read it four times, which I thought was kind of weak compared to 15 times, but whatever. Um, he read his He read Ray's book four times, and one day he called Ray on the phone, and he said this, Son, I've read your your book four times now, and I have 106 questions for you. I'd like to ask you some of them. So they set up another call, and they jumped right in. And after about 10 hours on the phone, Ray said, having gone through only 42 of the questions, his dad said this, Well, Raymond, I've done a lot of things in my life, and I've spent my life believing something very different than this. But this is what's true. Jesus is what I've been looking for. Thank you. Did you catch it at the end? Thank you. It was subtle. But it's the inevitable product of the, of the heart and of the person who finds Jesus. Because what we find in Jesus is not a means to a better life. It's not a means to anything. What we find in Jesus is the treasure. We find in Jesus the very fount of joy himself we find in Jesus as we go back to Him and down into Him and are built up in Him, we find in Him the very One that our hearts have longed for. And when we find Him, it produces in us thanksgiving, lives of thankfulness. And so as a quick diagnostic, I would say if your life is not marked by by thankfulness for all kinds of things, then maybe start to ask yourself some of the questions, or better yet, maybe start to ask some of your friends or family members, hey, can you help me? I have some blind spots. I'm a little crankier than I wanted to be at this stage of life, whether you're young or old. Thanksgiving is not a hallmark characteristic of my life. Where have I missed Jesus? Because know that in Christ, we are being rooted in Him. We are being built up in Him. And if his spirit has its way with us, his way with us, we will be a people who are thankful. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, I pray that this would be true in our hearts today, in this week, and always. That like Ray's Dad, when we find that which our hearts have been longing for, when we or when we return to the one that our hearts have known, that you would make us people who are thankful. Lord, be kind to us and tender to us as we repent of the lesser lovers and the other things we've looked to for joy and satisfaction. Be gentle with us. We are, we are frail. But as You're doing that, turn our eyes back to Jesus that we may see Him and behold Him for who He is. We love You. We thank You. And we pray all these things in His name. Amen.